This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, I talk with an amazing guitar player from David Lee Roth and Bo Nasty, Brian Young. We hear all about how Bo Nasty came about and how they ended, and we hear about Brian's days with DLR. Check it out. Brian, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing, man? I'm very good, Mike. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Doing great. So, here we are in a new year, 2021. Are you working on any musical projects right now? Um, other than live shows, which we've actually been able to do here in Texas um, with limited audiences, um, I have been doing um, a bunch of fun online stuff with uh, a few different friends. Uh, Michael T. Ross from Elite Ford Band, and he also does the uh, Rock Vault in Las Vegas. Okay, He's a great keyboard player, and, and we've been... Uh, he kind of brought me into some uh, projects he's been working on with uh, Phil Verone, the drummer from Saigon Kick, mm-hmm. and a bass player named Alex Rodriguez. And what they're doing is um, they just kind of get together and pick a fun old, you know, some classic tune, and then we, we all kind of do the recording at our own studios. And then we all, on a couple of songs, they'll send me all the tracks, then I'll mix it down, and then we'll send all the, the mixed-down track to the drummer, and we'll all film our own videos, and then the drummer puts it all together and makes a video out of it. So that's kind of a new thing. It's a COVID thing, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's a way to, to do something while you're locked down. So, uh, so it's a lot of this virtual stuff. But um, it's been pretty fun. And uh, so that's just, you know, keeping us out there. So far, we've just uh, been doing different cover tunes with uh, you and usually a different singer on each song. We find a, a singer, then kind of find a song that they like that fits their voice and stuff. And um, we'll probably start, you know, doing original stuff here and there too. But it's all it's all just kind of to keep us busy and have some fun and, and break the monotony of lockdown. Yeah, you did uh, a cover recently too uh, with a with some guys that Van Halen, right? You did DOA. Yes, that was done with some uh, with a drummer uh, and bass player in Argentina, and um, the singer from the Atomic Punks. Okay. And, and uh, so it was that was real fun. Yeah, the, I was approached by the drummer uh, Pablo Sanchez. And uh, sent me a drum track for uh, DOA, and then I did the guitar, and I sent it out. And then they did, he put the bass on out there in Argentina. Then they sent the tracks to uh, the singer uh, who did the vocals in Los Angeles, Brian Geller from the Atomic Punks. So that was really fun to do a Van Halen tune. And, uh, yeah, then we've I've done a few other ones since then. And, in fact, I'm mixing one down right now for uh, that I'm doing with the same guys, but with Jamie Brown singing, uh, he's the singer from the band Roxanne, and uh, they're they're doing a new record right now themselves. But we did um, Edger Winter. Uh, we all had a real good time. So that's uh, the, I've been kind of mixing that down today. So that's that's kind of what we've been doing just to keep our sanity. Now, can you imagine like being back in the '80s? And, and uh, somebody from the future would tell you that you could do this kind of shit. It, it would blow your mind. You know what I mean? Oh, be, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's the thought of just emailing tracks to each other—it's it's amazing. You know, that's I, I, it's at least we have that now. Because if we didn't have that, man, we'd really be we'd be having to physically mail master tapes by FedEx, you know, <laughs> to each other or hard drives maybe. But yeah, it's and and what and the great also the quality. It's, it's you know you can actually do album quality stuff online, you know, nowadays. So that's that's pretty cool. It is, man. It's unreal. Well. I did say something about the 80s, and of course, this is the 80s glam metal cast, so I was hoping we could go back to 1989 for a minute and talk about Bo Nasty, man. What a killer debut. Right on. That was fun. That was my first uh, 
big album on a major label. That was a pretty neat experience. How'd the band come about? Man, it was kind of a... The way it started for me was uh, Mike Varney from Guitar Player Magazine had put me in the spotlight column, and he was... Uh, there was he was talking about me doing a solo record, and he uh, he I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Varney, but he, yeah. he, because of the, he wrote that spotlight column, you know, thousands of musicians were sending him tapes all the time. Most you know, it's mostly guitar players, but a lot of times he'd find other musicians throughout through those demos. So, um, drum, Mike Tarana, the drummer, one night Mike Varney calls me up and says, "Hey, you got to check out the drummer. He's playing these this guy over the phone, and he's like, check this guy out." And so he gave me his phone right. He had just moved to L.A. from Buffalo. So um, so that's how I met Mike Tarana. So I went and met up with him, played him some of my songs. We started talking, and we were going to do a Brian Young solo record on, on a Shrapnel Records. Mm-hmm. And then while that was going on, while we were, you know, starting to write tunes and, and you know, getting to know each other, um, his old singer, um, Mark Anthony Fretz, had moved to L.A. from – he had been living in Minneapolis. He came to L.A., and he had – label interest because of some other thing he was doing and somehow along the line you know because of Mike Tran and knowing the singer we kind of hooked up with him and as opposed to doing a Brian Young record we ended up forming the band Bo Nasty and then we got George Bernhardt and Doug Baker into the band and uh, that's how that band kind of came into being and and, uh, then we just started writing you know we spent about a year writing songs and then we did the record awesome man I, I still love it um, I'm definitely. I remember buying it when it came out. Shake it, uh, dirty but well dressed. And I think I gotta say my favorite man is the cover of Love Potion Number Nine. I just love how you guys did that. It was so so cool. Cool. Yep, that was George's idea. So I remember him saying, "Hey, that'd be a great song to do a cover of." And uh, it was pretty fun. And George is a great guitar player, and he was a you know it was just you know great guys to work with. And I love that guy. He's so funny. Such a great drummer. Um, and he's, you know, he's dies out in Europe, um, but he's doing great. Um, so we're produced by Bow Hill. We got awesome musicianships. We've got the songs and all the elements seem to be there, but the band never really broke huge. What, what, what do you think happened with all that? Well, I know there was a couple of little timing issues. Uh, for example, uh, we put out the first song, Shake It, and um, that did okay. And then our second single was Paradise in the Sand, and there was a big power ballad. Well, as luck would have it, I guess the week, the same week our ballad came out, two other big ballads like Bon Jovi and like Motley Crue, you know, two other huge bands had big ballads mm-hmm. out, and so we kind of got lost in the shuffle of that. And it did, it did go to number one in a few cities. So it was one of those things where it was kind of a regional hit in some cities. It actually was it's pretty neat to see the chart where it'd be like Bo Nasty number one, Bon Jovi number two, you know. <laughs> well, you know I was like, so I have a couple of those little, but but it was only in like three or four cities where it hit big, and then the rest of the United States, it just kind of got buried in the shuffle. So, uh, And then as time went on, um, I I got kind of, it just wasn't my thing. I kind of wasn't into it anymore. I, I was kind of moving in a di- different direction musically. And so I, after we did the first album and a couple of tours, um, when we were preparing to do a second record, I kind of left the band at that point because I, I joined my brother's band. And we were, it was kind of a weird situation where, I was on CBS with those guys, but um, I, that was when Psychotic Symphony came into existence, and that was more of a crazy, wild band, and it was just something I just had to do to, it was more for my artistic expression, I guess you'd say, and being sick of uh, being stuck in a music business kind of hole. Sure. 
And uh, like you said, I know Mike, your drummer, went on to play with Ingve and a lot of European yep. bands. The one person I never heard any more about, which I thought was was great, was the vocalist uh, Mark. I mean, whatever happened to him? Um, I don't know if he did any bands after that. Um, he, I, I know that what I've heard is that he um, went off. He was always big into fishing. He was a fisherman. He was an yeah. angler, and uh, I heard that he moved out to Idaho and and opened up some kind of a big fish farm or, or something like that, a wildlife type thing. And um, I lost touch with them way back then. Uh, but I think George Bernhardt had talked to him. Uh, so I, I haven't talked to Mark in over 20 years. Wow. Wow. And they didn't ever try to do another album or anything like that after you left, did they? Or No, because after I quit, Mike Tran quit and just kind of fell apart after gotcha. that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so it was one of those, you know, like I said, it was kind of a bad timing thing. It was kind of the end of the 80s, you know, we were kind of a hair band right at the end, Nirvana was coming out, so it was kind of a, you know, the times were a changing. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast, for sure. So you get to, uh, at a certain point, uh, you could probably tell us what year it was, but I think it was in the 90s or the, the 2000s, and you're doing a Van Halen tribute, Atomic Punks, right? Yeah, that was 1999 when okay. I got the call to do that. Yeah, that was Ralph Sainz, who's now in uh, Steel Panther. He was the singer in the Atomic Punks at the time. And he uh, basically, you know, just by recommendation, their guitar player was leaving to join David Roth. And uh, I was they, a few people told Ralph, hey, call Brian Young. He'd play that stuff. So and, like, he called me up, and I had to learn a lot of Anthony songs in a very short amount of time. And uh, and that was a real fun band. That you know, the, the, it was a great band. I mean, Todd Punks is. I mean, you know, have you seen them with Ralph ever? Back to the yeah, band. I, I, I watched him a lot of it on YouTube, and uh, sounds killer, man. Between the stuff that you're yeah. playing and his vocals, it's spot on <laughs> for sure. Yeah, he really channeled David Lee Roth. Even uh, even the you know, in between the song banter stuff was just. Even if it was something Dave didn't say, it was something that. Dave would have said. You know, he kind of <laughs> had this way of turning into David Lee Roth. It was, it was really funny, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And we had so many fun times with that band. Just, it was great. I was with them for three years. Did um, are you a, a big Van Halen fan? Or oh yeah, absolutely. All my all my life, ever since they came out, um, I've always loved them. I mean, it's like I wouldn't say they were my number one band. I think Zeppelin was my number one band, mm -hmm. but Van Halen was way up there, and Eddie's way up there as one of my favorite guitar players. Um, I really, at a young age, at, by, by, night, by the time I was 16, I was, I was in, into like Al Demiola, and then I got into Alan Holdsworth, so I was into Jeff Beck, and I was into a lot of, you know, like, let's see, uh, instrumental type mm -hmm. albums, you know, like a lot of jazz fusion and stuff like that, but I liked to apply that kind of stuff to rock. Like, I was a rock player, but I listened to like jazz fusion I think a lot of guys at the time did. When I was in the early 80s, was, most of my guitar player friends liked Alan Holdsworth, you know, and that kind of stuff. We were all into And then, of course, Ingve came out, and we were like, wow, this guy's amazing, too. So, you know, the early 80s, there was a lot of really great guitar players coming out. So, ultimately, you end up playing with David Lee Roth. Did he see clips of you in the tribute? Is that how you got the gig, or how did the gig come about? Yeah, I think, um, obviously, Dave knew about the Atomic Punks because, you know, of, he had taken that first guy, so um, and I think they were pretty much known. They were one of the very first tribute bands. I mean, they they started out in like '93. They were really early in the age of tribute bands. Mm -hmm. They might have been one of the very first Van Halen tributes, or at least the first one that got any recognition. And um, so they were considered, though they're the closest to the real thing, you know. So so when I got that gig, it kind of automatically put me into that 
category. And I guess Dave's manager, Matt Sencio, saw me with the punks somewhere in 2001 at a little club in Santa Monica. And so he had seen me do the show, so he knew I could play the stuff. And then about you know six or eight months later, Bart gets fired. And then so they just only auditioned like three guys. It was just like but me and a couple other guys that they got, you know, so I got the call, and they tried out a couple guys, and I got the gig. But it was so, yeah, it definitely was because of being in the Atomic Punks, though, because I wouldn't have even been on their radar if I wasn't in that band, you know. I would have just been another guy in L.A. playing rock. Yeah. So, I mean, was this like a childhood dream? I mean, you're playing on the same freaking stage as Roth. This had to be surreal. Yeah. Um, I never I never dreamed that I'd be in a band with David Lee Roth because my dream was to be in a my own band and get and get famous in my own band. <laughs> obviously, that was the actual the actual dream. The David Lee Roth thing was more like came out of left field. It's all, it was like, of course, I was stoked to do it. It was great, but um, I I never pictured that was my future. I would never I would have never guessed that one. You know, it was just um, so it happened, and um, it was definitely very surreal. There was a lot of moments where, where I was on stage with them, and I'm just going, I'm on stage with David Lee Roth. How the, <laughs> how the heck did this happen? Because I remember being in. The audience of 300,000 people at the US Festival, just one of 300,000 people watching the band. Little did I know that I'd end up being in the band with that guy. Isn't it amazing how like this shit happens? I mean, this has happened to a, a, quite a few people. I mean, if you think of like, uh, you know, like Tim Ripper Owens was in the Priest tribute, he yep. ends up in Priest. You've got Tommy Thayer doing the Kiss tribute, he ends up in Kiss. I mean, this this is cr- I mean, this is also kind of stuff like back in the day you never would have dreamed that this could possibly happen, but it does happen. Yeah, well, it kind of makes sense now because if you think about it, there were so many great seventies and eighties bands that got huge and then the 90s was kind of the era of the tribute bands starting to come out and of course by the by the 2000 these 70 guys 70s guys are getting older and there's always a couple guys that drop off the map or, or don't do it anymore and then so along comes these tribute guys that have been copying it for years yep. and so they're the perfect replacement so it was kind of a strangely natural progression for that kind of thing to happen for tribute guys because of course if they're going to try to get a guy and kiss they're going to it's like whenever you audition, you got to go up there and play their songs. Well, if if you've been playing their songs on stage for five years, you kind of got a head start on guys that are just learning it real quick for the audition. You know? Yeah. Like a lot of times when you audition for a band, it's like you got to like for example, when I joined the Atomic Punks, you know, I knew a handful of Van Halen songs. You know, a couple of them all the way through, but not I. You know, maybe I knew a riff here and there, but I didn't know all the Van Halen songs. And so when I joined the Punks, I had to learn all those songs. Now, I spent two weeks learning all the songs, then I spent three years playing them with, with that guy, those guys. So when I got the call to join Dave, I walked right in knowing all the songs ready to go. Whereas if I had gotten the call to join to audition for Dave, at the same time I got the call for the punks, I would have only known four or five songs, mm-hmm. and I would have had to learn them. Let's say they said, oh, hey, can you come in day after tomorrow? I'd, I'd have a lot of work to do, and I'd be probably really nervous. And I'd have to learn all this stuff in two days and go and audition. But I had three years of warming up. So, uh, you know what I mean? So it's kind of a, it's almost like more of a natural progression in that in that sense. Yeah, no, definitely. And, I mean, I watched some clips of uh, you guys playing. I mean, you got Lomenzo from White Lion on bass. You got Ray from Corn on the drums. I mean, this band is insane. It, it just sounds killer. It was so great playing with those guys. And Ray is, <laughs> Ray this year is one of my favorite drummers in the world. I mean, that guy, I love playing with him. I remember when I used to do a funk gig with him back in the '90s, and uh, we were, you know, we were playing every week for a year or so. And uh, but of course, I'm in front of him facing the audience, so I really don't get a chance to look at him that often. Yeah. 
So he had another gig with another band, and he said, hey, you know, come check out my band. I'm playing at this club. So I went to watch him play. And when I stood in the audience and watched Ray from the audience perspective, I'm like going, oh, my God, I play with that guy. <laughs> Holy crap. Like, I was like, I really got to sit there and watch him on stage, and he's so fun to watch, man. He's just a total showman of a drummer like Terry Bozio. Yeah, it, it's real. You know, I, I'll be honest. I've never got into corn, so I haven't seen him play a lot. So this is one of my, you know, probably my first exposures to really watching him play. And I was blown away. I'm like, this guy's sick. He's so tight and so precise, and there's so much going on. But it's, but it, but it still works. You know what I mean? It was, it's really good. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he. I, I started working with him in like '97 or something with Ray with different bands before. He got the Dave gig in '99, then I joined up with him in 2002. But um, he was—I mean—always practicing. He had these, you know, drum rehearsal studio where he'd go to, and he was one of those guys who could play anything with either foot, you know, play left-handed or right-handed. He just did—he just practiced every possible thing you could practice. So he was just ready for anything and all different styles of music. He could play, you know, just sambas and bossa novas or whatever. He could, you know, Latin. He can do all that stuff. He's just really a fully well-rounded, amazing drummer. And at this point, I guess kind of to, to your point, you're saying you, you knew all the Van Halen songs inside and out, and it looks like at this point the set list is pretty much all that, aside from a few of his solo tunes. He played, you guys played mostly Van Halen songs, didn't you? Yeah, the first tour was all Van Halen except for uh, Yankee Rose, mm-hmm. and then each tour after that, I did like six years with him, uh, we'd add a couple more solo songs from Dave's stuff, like we started adding... Uh, California Girls and Just a Gigolo and Just Like Living in Paradise and you know so um, there was more more of that stuff so but the first the first year was the entire set was just early you know just the classic Van Halen and then Yankee Rose was the only song that was from David Ross solo so that was just really a total blast you know that set list it was really heavy I man we were doing Dead or Alive and Atomic Punk I'm the One so that was like I think that was my favorite year, you know, it was the 2002 tour. Yeah. What was Dave like to work with? Man, it was a total blast working with Dave, especially in the beginning, because when I first started working with him, I didn't, you know, I didn't know him at all. It was like, hi, nice to meet you. And, um, and then the first few months, it was just rehearsals. And what I loved about the rehearsals was Dave, Dave would come in with his, you know, with his big boom box and a big pile of CDs. We'd all sit on the floor in a big circle, you know, and drinking beers, drinking Jack Daniels and listening to Dave's music collection. And it would be just like the most coolest hang. We're just kicking back listening. He put on these old blues tunes and, you know, we actually started learning a bunch of them for fun. Like Dave had us learning them on acoustic, these just songs from his record collection. And some of those nights that we were were kicking back, I was just thinking, man, if people could only see this, this is just the coolest hang. And um, that was the fun stuff, just getting ready to go on the first tour. and then once we started going, then the first uh, tour, we actually did two weeks of radio shows before we started the tour, um, just morning shows. We were taking the tour bus all the way to Minneapolis and just hitting every city. We would start L.A., we did Vegas, Phoenix, Albuquerque, Kansas City, Chicago, Detroit, all the way. To, and each city, we would do a morning radio show where we bring our acoustic guitars and do a live on the, on the air, you know. And I wish I had some recordings. I, I know there's some recordings out there, that stuff, I, I hope. If anyone's listening who has those, let me have a copy. There, there was some really fun stuff we did live on the radio. I have a couple of recordings, but not, and then we did Howard Stern and all that stuff. So that was all great. And then um, once we started, you know, the, the tour, it was just just craziness after that. 
when okay so the first tour or one of the early tours that you did was the one where it was sammy and dave what was that experience like was there friction between these guys or was everything cool yeah it was um they didn't really communicate much with each other dave kind of stayed to his own area he he would show up you know last minute and go on stage and kind of leave um so you know dave didn't really want to deal with sammy hagar too much you know so that was kind of like we kind of had our own separate camps Mm -hmm. and uh that's how that was you know, there's a there's a few rough spots here and there, but it was definitely a great tour, a lot of fun. I think at that point, and uh, most would probably agree, is they kind of probably needed each other to to really pack the houses. You know what I mean? I, I'm not saying that Dave couldn't pack a house, but at that point, but it, you know, it, like you said, we're coming out of the '90s into the early 2000s, and and people were kind of looking for those big shows. I mean, I know in the early 2000s, Poison had Quiet Riot and Warren, and you know, it, that was that was kind of the thing. You kind of had to tour with a bunch of bands to really pack the places. Yeah, that, doing that—that that was a great package. I mean, uh, for sure, having Sammy Hagar, David Lee Roth to do the—I think it was it, uh, people were calling it the Stan's Halen tour, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so it was it was yeah, there was definitely a like that was the way to do it. I you know I still remember that because if we just went on our own, I think Dave was you know had been uh, on a tour with uh, before I played with them. They were out going out with Bad Company and stuff. That's all cool, but the, the Sam and Dave thing it had a big Van Halen thing to it. You know, there was you know, made it, made it kind of unique. How did Eddie Van Halen's death affect you? Oh man. Just one of those things where my brother called me and I was driving and just a dude, Eddie Van Halen died. And you're just kind of like, you're, you just kind of go blank. Your brain just kind of shuts down and it's like not accepting it. You know, it's yeah. kind of like one of those weird things where you instantly there's just like the day is a bad cloud over your head. On the, and it, it just, it's one of those weird things where it just takes a while to sink in. You know, kind of like, man, Eddie Van Halen, you just don't think that's ever going to happen. Right. You know, I mean, it's like, so it was, yeah, it was terrible. You know, I, you know there's, there's been, you know, there have been rumors of his health, you know, here and there. But it's when it happened, you're like, whoa, I didn't know it was like that bad. Like, you know, he was actually dying. I only met him once or twice. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think every, every guitar player and everybody who likes Van Halen ha has the same connection I have. They're just, mm -hmm. we all just fans you know who loved the you know who are just amazed by his playing who know that he really changed guitar you know for all of us you know all of us kids that were listening to him when we were you know 12 or 13 years old and then uh just opened up a lot of doors for new ways of playing new techniques and and just a, it's something to shoot for you know it makes you get we hear a great guitar player like that you just want to practice and practice and get better i think about alex van halen you go, man, how did, you know, what is his, you know, that's, that, I mean, there was his brother that they were together their whole lives. They jammed together forever. That was the only drummer Eddie was in a band with. <laughs> you know, crazy. think about that. It's crazy. You know? Yeah, that's so, gotta be tough. That, well, man, so, what, uh, what do you want to say to all your uh, fans out there in closing? Everybody get well, stay COVID free. Let's get back to work. Life is good. And I hope that this uh, whole COVID thing could end because, uh, Right now, it's like, it's certain, everyone I know, you know, as far as their, I mean, all my musician friends, especially in California, are just unable to play at all, and it really, really sucks. So I'm hoping that this thing can just come to an end, and we can get back out there and play live again. I'm, I'm glad that in Texas, we're actually able to play a little bit, you know, it's, it's still very restricted, but we're, we're actually playing a couple shows a week, you know, to like 25% capacity, mm -hmm. so... It's uh, it's it's rough, you know, and I'm sure everyone's going through the same boat, you know, it's just like it's hurting all over. 
I have a lot of friends that are really struggling right now. Well, Brian, man, thanks so much for your time. Have a good night. Thank you very much, Michael. Take care. Well, that was awesome chatting with Brian. Now, Brian's in Texas right now, so pray for the people of Texas and help out if you can. Now, this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, join us live on the channel for a live stream. People put comments in the chat. I read them live. It's a good time. This coming week, we'll be doing the best and worst metal videos of the 80s. So we know there's some classics and there's some clunkers. I hope you can join us to chat. Rock on!